and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Our holy story contains a host of images that illuminate God's maternal care for creation. The wisdom of God, Sophia, cries out in labor to deliver the new creation of justice. God nurses the newly born and teaches toddlers to walk, bends down to feed them, and carries them about, bearing them from birth to old age. As a mother comforts her child, God comforts those who lament. God never forgets the children of her womb. Angered by those who threaten her children, God says, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. Our God is a fierce and tender mother. Today is Mother's Day, first celebrated in 1908 at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. The day honored Anne Reeves Jarvis, a woman who cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the Civil War and advocated with her whole life for peace. Her daughter, Ann Jarvis, is campaigned for a national day to honor all mothers in the spirit of her own mother, who was a peacemaker and a healer in a time of war. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed Mother's Day into law. Immediately, companies began selling Mother's Day's greeting cards, flowers, and gifts. And Ann Jarvis, soon disgusted by the holiday's commercialization, filed lawsuits against Hallmark and other companies to try and stop them. This became the work for the rest of her life. Driving over today, I heard a radio commercial asking my fictional child, doesn't your mother deserve a Solomon Brothers diamond necklace? And I thought, no. What I want is to end misogyny in all forms. From the Supreme Court decisions to Taliban law in Afghanistan prohibiting women moving around in public. Perhaps Ann Jarvis should have protested against the church, too, for the ways that Christianity has told women that motherhood is the best way for them to feel blessed by God and to embody the sacrificial love of Jesus. Hallmark may have capitalized on an unattainable, unconditional love, but the Christian tradition trades in the martyrdom of motherhood. So the commercialization and spiritualization of Mother's Day amplifies some of our most damaging myths about motherhood as the apex of womanhood. That being a mother is more important than being a person. That a family is the greatest legacy and you don't know love until you've become a mother. That home is our highest duty That motherhood is the toughest job but intrinsically rewarding, therefore requires very little support from society or businesses in the form of paid leave or equal pay for working mothers. That children are a gift from God to an individual woman rather than a responsibility of the entire village. Like all social myths, there is something inherently true to them. They speak to the experience of so many parents And yet each of these ideas about love and duty and caring for the next generation 
do not tell the whole story of who we are as women and as a society. We must be careful not to reduce the lives of people who carry pregnancies to motherhood myths. This has damaging consequences that affect social policy and heightened psychological pressures on those born female. This week, more than ever, with the leaked Supreme Court decision, opinion, to overturn Roe versus Wade, we must be cognizant of how much the society wants to force women into being mothers and to turn motherhood into indentured servitude. God's hope for us is not to sanctify individual mothers, but to invite us into a compassionate, sustaining relationship with all the children of God's creation. To celebrate Mother's Day is not perhaps to celebrate the biological process of bearing children. It is to celebrate what we learn through the pain and suffering of birthing, adopting, fostering, and raising, and sometimes burying our children. Today is about compassion and mercy and the life of steadfast love. That's something we all know well. This is the birthright, not of people born with wombs, but of all of us created in the image of the beloved. Let God, our mother, meet us in the silence as we connect to the image of the beloved inside all of us. So we've been hearing a lot about bodies this week. As we know, today is Mother's Day. As we think about all of the women and people who have carried children, we've been hearing about the leak of a Supreme Court decision that impacts women's bodies specifically and the possible overturn of Roe versus Wade. We also hear about bodies in this passage because this says to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present yourself as a living sacrifice? So little by little, so to present, you know, to come before, to dedicate, to stand, and to present yourself as a living sacrifice not someone else. You don't get to live their life or turn it over because there's a really big difference between what you would kill for and what you would die for. It's a really important distinction. Present yourself as your heart and your mind, your body, your soul, and your strength because they're pretty, pretty independent when you start to think about it. Present yourself as a living sacrifice Sacrifice is one of those really, really tricky words. Because when I first hear it, I start thinking about the sacrifice meaning that happens in the Old Testament. 
sacrifice as atonement or at one as a way to bring back ourselves into the presence of God, as a way to make up for something wrong we've done, as something, you know, might be done during the high holy days. But this sacrifice was all about death on altars. Bulls, cattle, doves. Sacrifice of death. One of the hardest stories in the Old Testament is Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham hears God call him to sacrifice his son. And the fact that at the last minute he doesn't have to does not make this any easier. But then comes Jesus, and we get a totally different kind of sacrifice. Suddenly, we're called to be living sacrifices. Those words don't really go together. It's more of like an oxymoron or a paradox where you have two words that just don't add up, and yet somehow there's a grain of truth in their combination. And really, that hits at one of the core themes of the Reformed tradition that we ascribe to as Presbyterians, that God acts first. God creates the world, and then we get to live in and become stewards of it. God acts and we join in as participants. God saves, and we respond freely. No sacrifice needed from us. So as many of you know, we are doing the Vital Congregations, part of the Matthew 25 initiative of the Presbyterian Church. And today's theme is outward incarnational focus, which is really a mouthful. And so between today's passage and that phrase, I really started thinking about what does Jesus say about sacrifice? So I looked at the Greek and found the word thusion, which is the word for sacrifice. And it's really only used a handful of times in the gospel. In Matthew 9, 13, the Pharisees are really giving Jesus a hard time for eating with sinners and tax collectors. But he says to them, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Just a few chapters later, in Matthew 12, the disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. That's seen as an act of work that is not okay on the Sabbath, that is for rest. But when the Pharisees confront Jesus again, he says, If you had really known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And then perhaps most meaningfully in Mark 12, in one of these interactions we get between Jesus and religious leaders, a scribe asks Jesus, what is the most important law or commandment? And Jesus says, The Shema, to listen to Israel, Lord our God is one, love your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors. And in a rather unusual move from these religious leaders, instead of, you know, ducking away or walking away angry, the scribe says, you know what, you're right. You're right. Those things, loving God, loving your neighbor, are way more important than all or any 
of the burnt offerings and sacrifices that we can make. As David Lewicki thoughtfully said earlier this week, the pandemic has made us become excarnated in many ways. We've been figuring out how to interact without bodies, pulling away for the very purpose of trying to preserve them. We've been pulling into ourselves and in many ways pulling into our communities, just trying to survive in survival mode. And we're in a bit of a different place now than we were two years ago. So we approach the season of summer where vaccinations are a thing, we have some opportunities. Because I think what it means to be a living sacrifice is to be embodied in this world. To be a living sacrifice is to take ownership of our own bodies, be stewards of one another and the earth that we live on. To be a living sacrifice is to demonstrate an ethic of care to be a living sacrifice is to give freely of ourselves in the pursuit of the Shema and to love your neighbor because we get to put our feet on the ground and the hands in the hands of others and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ incarnate in the world here right now. And increasingly, again, we can care for each other in embodied ways. Maybe that means being a mother and anyone who cares for children. Maybe that means bringing a meal to someone's house, volunteering in person at a local justice organization, washing each other's feet as we practiced on Monday Thursday just a few weeks ago. We get to do this not just as individuals, but as a church, outwardly focused. We have our strong community here. We get to focus outward to the communities in our area and beyond in which we serve. But let's be very, very clear about what being a living sacrifice is not. This is not accepting suffering inflicted by others as okay. It's not allowing oppression to continue and valorizing suffering. Being a living sacrifice is not a resignation to the brokenness of the world because we're talking about something that is freely given and uncoerced as a response to God's saving love for us. And we actually get a really good roadmap in this passage of what it means to give our lives as living sacrifices, to let love be genuine, outlove one another and outdo one another in showing honor, to be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Now, there may well be another time, much though we may not want to think about it, where we are forced to retreat to Zoom again, either as a society or individually. There are times for us to continue to use technology because there are things that fill a gap that can't be achieved in person. We're so glad for our live stream that allows people to be here worshiping with us, even if they can't be sitting in this sanctuary. But let's not forget the power that comes from making our peace-passing motion face-to-face. -face. The power of visiting those who can't leave their homes so that we can still be embodied together. 
There's a lot of power in making the extra effort to show up with our feet on the ground in solidarity and in protests, in care and in love, in commitments and in community. Because to be a living sacrifice is to adapt a posture of outward incarnational focus, to show up when God calls, to be deeply entrenched in our communities, and to constantly be living the good news of God's grace and mercy through word and deed every day of our lives. Amen. <laughs>